In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I had lunch last week with a friend of mine who's a retired Presbyterian pastor, and the subject of preaching came up. And our experiences as preachers are very, very different. In, in his tradition, the sermon was the high point of the sermon, service. His congregation expected him to preach for nearly 45 minutes and to dig deep into the scriptures. Sermon prep for him could easily take 15 or 20 hours a week. My experience, on the other hand, is preaching for 12 to 15 minutes. And while I pride myself in digging into the Bible, since I've become a rector, the halcyon days of spending eight to 10 hours preparing a sermon have long since gone away. But the biggest difference in our preaching traditions is the lectionary. He wasn't beholden to any set lessons and could spend whole seasons preaching through books or on themes. But my preaching ministry is lectionary-based. It doesn't matter what Sunday and what year, I can know what the lessons are going to be that I'm going to have to tackle. The only question is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to this congregation through this scripture on this day? I joked with him that I really love lectionary preaching because my preaching isn't dependent upon my imagination in choosing the texts for the week. But I would be thrilled if I never had to preach on the Syrophoenician woman ever again. <laughs> and yet here we are. It comes up twice in every three-year lectionary cycle. And in Matthew's version, the, she's called a Canaanite woman, but the, the context and the gist of the story are unfortunately the same. It's a really uncomfortable story wherein Jesus shows an uncharacteristic lack of compassion to a person in desperate need. Despite 2,000 years of preachers trying to explain away Jesus calling this woman a dog, the reality is that at best, Jesus was dismissive of her need. At worst, he used a common racial epithet to try to shoo her away. Jesus had four different opportunities to do the right thing in this story. Thankfully for the Canaanite woman and for Jesus, it wasn't three strikes and you're out. Matthew tells us that Jesus and his disciples had entered into the district of Tyre and Sidon, so they were in Gentile territory. And as they walked, this woman, who clearly knew who Jesus was, began to cry out to him for help. Have mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Jesus' first response was to just ignore her. But it isn't that she shouted this out once. She cried out again and again and again until his disciples became so fed up that they went up to Jesus and said, do something with her. So she'll go away and be quiet. Jesus' second response is to dismiss her. I, was come only, I have come only for the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she was undaunted, and so she ran up to Jesus, and she fell to her knees and worshipped him and asked again, Lord, 
help me. Jesus' third response is downright ugly. It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. I think we can all agree that calling someone a dog is pretty crummy, no matter the culture or the time. And yet she persists. She takes Jesus' slur and she turns it around on him and says, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs from under their master's table. The fourth time was a charm. Jesus was finally swayed by her tenacity, her faith, her willingness to go toe-to-toe with him. And he healed her daughter right there on the spot. Was that so hard, Jesus? Why did it take so long? Why did Mark and Matthew both decide to include this story in their gospel accounts? Why is it in the lectionary and why on God's green earth is it in there twice? Wouldn't it just be easier to make this awful story go away? There's a popular, even bipartisan movement in our culture today to eliminate the stories that make us uncomfortable. Whether it's removing the names of slaveholding families from plaques at universities or in churches or civic parks, or removing the truth of the awful brutality of slavery from history books, it seems that both sides, the right and the left, would prefer to take the ugly parts of our history and simply shoo them away. But it's not that easy. The only path towards wholeness is by telling the whole truth messy parts and all. In 2019, I was invited to attend a racial justice pilgrimage in Atlanta, Savannah, and Charleston. And we toured several significant locations in both the transatlantic and domestic slave trades. In Savannah, between the Riverside and City Hall, there was built into the side of the hill rising up from the river a series of cells called the Klusky Vaults. They were built in the 1840s to mitigate erosion from the riverbank and to store goods in the relative cool of the brick-lined underground vaults and to hold people who had been stolen from their homes in West Africa as they awaited being sold at one of the many slave auctions in town. A historical marker at the mouth of one of those vaults read, An urban legend suggested that this structure served to hold enslaved African-Americans while they were being transported on ships through Savannah's port during the mid-1800s. What that sign calls an urban legend, the descendants of enslaved Africans still living in Savannah call the truth. There are still existing identical vaults built on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean in Ghana and other parts of West Africa, where hundreds of thousands of human beings were loaded into ships headed for the colonies. Tribal markings are obvious throughout the vaults, as are the lash marks on the whipping post just outside the mouth of one of those pens. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus tells us that the truth will set us free. 
Telling the fullness of our history is vitally important. Around our nave, there are several plaques honoring the gifts made by slaveholding families for the benefit of Christ Church. To remove them, as some might prefer, is to risk the opportunity to tell the full story of how some of the foundational gifts that created Christ Church came from wealth created by enslaved labor. To keep them and to not tell the full story of those enslaved women, men, and children, as others might prefer, is to miss the opportunity to tell the truth of our past, to repent as a community, to proclaim the dream for a better future. It is only through telling the full truth that humanity will ever find healing. As we sit in the discomfort of hard stories, we seek to learn from our past. We see how Jesus was changed by his encounter with the Canaanite woman, how his ministry to the lost sheep of Israel grew in that moment to include lost sheep from the every tribe and nation under the sun, and how we are called to love our neighbors and to respect the dignity of every human being. In the Klusky vaults, we see how America's original sin of slavery continues to echo through our nation and how telling the truth of our complicity in that sin can move us toward healing within ourselves and with our neighbors. In the plaques around our nave, we see how no one is as bad as the worst of themselves. No one is as good as the best within them. How we as a community contain multitudes. And how being truthful of our past offers us more and more freedom to live into our current mission. We might prefer to avoid the uncomfortable stories of our past. But in them, God is at work to move us little by little closer to the dream that God has for creation, a world that so often lives in the darkness of a nightmare. May God bless us with ears to hear the truth so that we might be set free to radiate God's love to all. Amen.